We welcome everybody to this celebration of resurrection. And I I have been preparing to speak on what I'm speaking this morning. And in doing so, I didn't realize that I'd be doing this on Resurrection Sunday. Um, but it works out good. Um, I, I want to do for the next few weeks um, a series on Hosea. Hosea stands there. It was written in about the 8th century BC, 700 and something. And that's um, 700 years before Jesus came. And it stands almost as more potent in our discovery of the love of God than some of the more straightforward words of the New Testament. It's almost unbelievable that back there, 700 years before Jesus, that they would know the love of God as is portrayed in the book of Hosea. It's, Hosea is sort of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And I, I want to take the next at least four weeks, maybe more, to really get into what it was saying. Um, and so all I want to do is to read one verse of this because um, we, we'll be going through and reading other verses as the weeks go by. But this, this sets the scene for the whole book. In Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, when the Lord, and you know that that is the um, way the Jewish people ended up uh, stating the name of God, the name of God as he revealed himself in the Old Testament, which the name in Hebrew is Yahweh. And I'll be referring to that as we go through that the name of God in the Old Testament, every time it says Lord in capital letters in our Bible, really it should be Yahweh, which translated into English is I am that I am. And so he is the I am. And so when I am, Yahweh, first spoke through Hosea, I am said to Hosea, go, Take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. There you've got it in a nutshell. You have this unbelievable, and I'll underscore that. It's one of the most unbelievable stories in the Bible that the Lord sent Hosea to actually marry a prostitute because that was going to be his message to the people for the next 70 years. And he says, you, and he's speaking to the people, you are the ultimate prostitute. I, God, married you in covenant, and all you have done is be unfaithful to me and leave me and spit in my face and turn to idols. Well, he said, this is how I feel about you. And here you have the feelings of God. This is not just stating uh, statements of I love you. This is the feelings of God put inside a human being. 
and, and the anguish he goes through, the pain of having this wife who is unfaithful, unfaithful, and coming back and God saying, that's how I feel about you. And, and he pursues it, this unrelenting love. This love will never let you go. And um, that's Hosea. And I want to look at the whole story of Hosea as the weeks go by, but I want to um, come to look at the whole story in one great look today, if I possibly can. The first thing that hits us is that Hosea, the name Hosea, is a Hebrew name, of course, but it's, um, shall I say, it's a root name. It's mentioned before in, in the scripture, though it doesn't sound like it. It comes from Joshua. Joshua. It's because of our English way of saying J, and you know down south of the border they, they say that as huh, and, and so this gets very mixed up. J, huh, and Y all come together in trying to get the Hebrew sound here. And so uh, Joshua... Or you could say in Hebrew, Yahshua, uh, Hosea, or you could say Yosea. But both of those end up in another word, which in Hebrew is um, Yoshia. And Yoshia in English is Jesus. And so actually the name Hosea is the same as the name Jesus. Um, and both of them mean salvation. And um, that to me is fascinating that God comes to this man whose name, though he didn't know it, was the foretaste of the one to come and has him actually live out the pain of God love inside a human being, such as Jesus actually did when he came. That's the story. Now let me warn you, and you need a warning. This is a sordid story. Um, that's why very few people like to talk about it. It's it is hard to destroy. You can't get around it. In fact, decent people won't read it. It is it's a disgusting story, and you you look at it and say, how could God ever get involved in that? It's it's a story that we don't want to hear. It's it's a story, and I say the words very carefully of the filth and the corruption of the human outside of Christ. And we come to something in a moment that might be quite shocking because I've got to get to the heart of this. We've got to get to the very heart of what is wrong with the human race. And it comes out in this story very plainly. But also in this story, you come to the magnificent triumph of this God love, the agape God love, that actually enters into our darkness. This is the story where even religious people get very upset that, that God would do this. Yes, God comes inside and tastes of our wretchedness and our darkness and makes it his own in order to bring us out. And that's this story. Um, God entering into our darkness, not as a visitor, but actually feeling it and knowing it and saving the lost. Okay, in this story, 
we have, and I'll say carefully, two energies. I don't like that, but I think you see what I mean in a moment. There, there are two energies at work, and both of those energies are called love in English. And that's where we get in such a mess here, because we've got two contradicting powers, and they're both called by the same name in English. It's interesting to me that in the Bible we only have reference to God's love. And you'll never find the other word that, that is love twisted and distorted. It's as if the Holy Spirit says, I forbid that word to be found in Scripture. And even though it was a word well known throughout the world of this day of the Bible, it was, it's not in the Bible. Because when he says love to God, there's only one love, and that's his love. And therefore he forbids the other. But although the word is forbidden in the scripture, you'll find the results of it everywhere in the scripture. It talks about the darkness, and it talks about the corruption. And as we see, um, what are the two? Well, the one, I've already said it, and you probably have heard it, agape. Agape is that unique word that describes the unique and only love that God is and the love that we meet in God, agape. And agape it, it is cascading. That's where I say energy. It's, it's got that movement to it. It's a passionate movement. It's an all-powerful movement. And it cascades out of the very being of God for God is agape. God is this kind of love. And it is love that is the self-giving. God gives himself. And within the Holy Trinity, the Father gives himself to the Son, and the Son to the Father, and Father and Son to the Spirit. And so at the center of all existence is this three who are one, and their one is in self-giving the one to the other. That, that, that is agape. And in this agape, it brings us, it overcomes all that keeps us away from him and brings us into this personal and vital relationship of knowing this love. The heart of the gospel is that we know this love personally and live it. Now, the other word, which you will not find in the Bible, you'll find all the results of it. You'll find his definition there, but you won't find the word. And it's eros. And the whole Greek world of the days of the Bible knew that word very well. In fact, so well, they didn't know about agape. If they said love, they said eros. And I think it's very true to say when the average Westerner says love, they really mean eros today. Eros is, is, is like a cancer that has got inside the whole of society, had twisted and distorted all our concepts of love. And so when we say love today, generally speaking, outside of the knowledge of the gospel, when we say love, we're saying eros, the twisted, distorted fashion. What, what is this twisted, counterfeit love, eros? 
if agape cascades out of the very being of God, then eros cascades out of the heart of Satan. I, I, you've got to, there's no gray here. Eros, there's nothing good about eros. It is the essence of sin. You want to know what sin is about? Understand eros. And therefore, eros equals death. Um, another way of putting it, though not so bluntly, would be that agape is God's covenant love. That is, the love which gives himself to us and says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Eros would be compared to a contract. A contract in a big full of ifs. If you do this, then I'll do this. If you don't do this, I'll do this. It means if you do this that I want you to, then um, you, you, you will be acceptable. If you don't do what I want you to do, then unacceptable and punishment. There'll, there'll be consequences. Um, the contract um, of Eros, there's no other word for it, is in absolute contradiction to the covenant of agape. You cannot mix them. And that is the great trouble in, the, in Hosea. Israel, at that time in their history, had sought to mix eros and agape, which produced this hideous, distorted thing. And God said, you, you cut my heart, you break me with pain, that you could ever believe you could mix eros with agape. But they did, and that's why he went to this extreme of having a human being actually wand with agape to show the people because this story takes place before the entire people of Israel. This isn't a story that we secretly tell after Hosea is dead and say, you're never going to believe this. No, he did this with the whole of Israel watching. How could this be? He was the prophet and we don't have such in our world today um, but these were national figures they were the ones alongside the king who could contradict the king if necessary the prophet was the word of God in the midst of the people everybody knew what he said everybody knew what he was doing and so this story would be something like um, the late Billy Graham where everybody knew Billy Graham. Well, if he was commanded by God to take a prostitute for his wife, uh, now you'll, get, you'll understand what's going on here. He's the most public, the most scandalous, the most horrific. It gets worse when you understand what I've just said means. Um, and, and so, Eros, what is Eros. I've hinted at it many times before, but let's try and really say it. Eros, the meaning of the word, is I desire. Let's weigh every word. I desire. You know, I'm passionate about this. I desire to possess, make it mine. And I want it now. So get out of my way if you want to keep it back from me. I want it, I want it now. 
And I want it for my pleasure. And what is this that I want so badly? It is, to say that what the word means, I want the highest. I want the best. I want the most beautiful. And I want it now for my pleasure. And because that's my passion, the flip side is, and I reject, I don't want in my presence the less, the least, the ugly. I don't want it around me. It upsets me to look at it. So away from me. I only want the best and the most beautiful. Um, you, you could say that this word and what I've just said was behind, it was the passion of the Greeks at the time of the New Testament. So they produced some of the most magnificent uh, sculptures and paintings because they would not accept anything. Eros said only the highest and the best. And people would say, well, see, it did a beautiful thing. That's neither here nor there. I'm not dealing with stone statues. I'm dealing with you. And, and when somebody says, I want you because you're beautiful, you're the highest, you're the best. But if within that is I reject the ugly, it means if you begin to look ugly, I'll throw you away because there'll be another who will be the highest, the best, and the most beautiful. That's the ugliness of Eros. And with it, if you heard the way I tried to emphasize these words, um, with Eros comes a given right. I, I have the right to find pleasure. I mean, I, I'm not concerned about you. You, you, I, you give me pleasure, and that's all I care about. And, and you, that means I'm going to use you. I'm going to manipulate. You're there. You exist to give me pleasure. That's the meaning of Eros. Eros then can also abuse you because if you're not as beautiful today as you're supposed to be, I, I can abuse you. That's Eros. And Eros always ends up enslaving the one that it says it loves. I must enslave you or I must keep you because somebody else might get you and you're my possession so you can't do what you want. You'll only be alive within this circle of my desire. That's the ugly picture of Eros. Of course, it's incapable of a long-term commitment. How can you have a long-term commitment? You see, Eros can never say the wedding service with, with intelligence or with thought. For better, for worse? Are you kidding? I, I only desire the better. Um, sickness and in health? I, you, you understand, I can't, Eros cannot go to the negatives. Don't, don't ask me until death do us part. I don't know what you're going to look like next week. So, uh, no, no, none of this until death do us part. It, it's merely, uh, the Eros really, all he wants to do is live together. You know, that's a great phrase today. Live together. Why? Because I don't want the mess of a divorce. I, I'm, I'm looking ahead. I, I, I can't say I'm going to want you for the rest of my life. Good grief, woman. What do you mean want you for the rest of my life? That's Eros. So when, okay, to use the word contract, 
this contract that Eros is, is, is over when the desire for the highest, best, and beautiful has now faded. And what once I loved because of the beauty is now boring. It's displeasure. I no longer see the beauty. It no longer gives me pleasure, so get out of here. Um, so, you see, Eros, to say it another way, is a black hole, you know, in the outer space, the black holes that, that suck everything into themselves. That, that really is Eros. It, 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 it reaches out to suck into itself for my pleasure. Well, that inevitably produces in the one that is loved... It produces continual anxiety, continual fear, anxiety that I'm not pleasing the other one. I've got to always please. I've got to always be what the other wants. So I become fearful of the frown on their face, the look of displeasure, the anxiety that he's losing interest, she's losing interest. I'm never sure. I'm always walking on eggshells. Because everything's on my shoulders to make this thing happy. That's Eros. Eros can get nasty. Eros actually in itself is very weak. It needs the most beautiful and the highest and the best to strengthen its feeling of self that, that look at me, I have, I have, I have. And so it can be very violent when the less and the least and the weak and the helpless that it despises, when they cross its path, there can be physical violence. It's a sick, sick game that is played where the object of this thing says, I, I will try to be everything you want me to be. I promise, I'll try, I'll try. I will try to reach your standard of the highest, the best, and the most beautiful. And yes, you can have your pleasure in me. It's okay. And yes, I know I'm no good, so punish me when I deserve it. But I am hoping apart from that, you'll give me everything I need. And that is backwards and forwards. Did you pick this? Is, I said it's sordid. It's, I'm getting the dirty tongue talking about it. It's... Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? It's Eros. But now you see, I don't know if you noticed, but religion finds its perfect fit in Eros. Do you realize, I think it was in the ninth century. If you're a historian, don't check me up. But it's, it's somewhere 7th, 8th, ninth century. This is how low and sick the church got, if you can call it the church, in those dark ages, that they went through the New Testament and every time it came to agape, they changed it to eros because that is how they understood their relationship to God. Fortunately, that only lasted a short while. But that is where, that's where Many of the forces that we face today, they come from those dark ages. 
and still it's passed on to us to believe it. You see, uh, this game, game of Eros, is played every Sunday in many churches, many churches. God is, is Eros. Only the, half the churches have at least a concept that the gospel is agape. And so they, they mix, there we go, they mix it. And it's this mixture, this poisonous mixture of agape and eros. <laughs> the fact is what you're left with is neither God nor love. It's this other thing mixed with eros. And it's the very heart of this self-separation from God, this feeling of constantly telling God in apologetic terms, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not the highest you want, I'm not. I'll try, I promise you, i get better. i try and get to the standard that you hold. No concept, no concept of agape love. This eros. Because... Bottom line, Eros doesn't know what to do with agape. That's putting it mildly. Around agape, Eros gets very uncomfortable. This this love that gives itself away, I'm very unsure. Suddenly my solid world of I want, I'll get, you belong to me, and I'll reject you when you're not good enough. I, I don't know what to do with that. That's why many who would confess some religion, they're horrified at what many of us here believe. And I mean horrified. I'm totally at home with a God who said, I hate you because you're not good enough. They're, they're at home with that. That's that's Eros. And to say that we, we have a God that continually gives himself to us, Eros doesn't know what to do with it. In, in fact, there's the feeling, Eros gets the feeling of, I'm unclean. Yeah, they're right. Uh, and in the presence of Agape, it shows up. I'm unacceptable. Yes, you're absolutely right. You cannot have Eros mixed with Agape. And Eros kind of knows that. And it wants to flee away. There, there is a, a the, the, I come back to the word energy. There's an energy in Eros that says, I don't want to get near agape. And, and it flees. Flees of this light. It would rather return to the pain of being owned, the pain of forever trying to be my best, They'd rather go back to that than to yield to agape. Can, can, this will open up as we go along, but can you handle that for the minute? <laughs> See, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the original and the forever source of agape. Agape is not something that God has that he found. Rather, he is agape. I cannot understand God without understanding agape. That's who he is. It's the being of God. It is God's being that cannot be put aside. 
that he gives himself freely to all and will never leave us and never forsake us. That's the Holy Trinity. And that came to us like Hosea going into the darkness. So God, the Son, sent by the Father, empowered by the Spirit, came into our darkness to show up, for starters, Eros. And to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you know what love is. And Eros had to crucify him. Because Eros couldn't, couldn't take that. Agape is the greatest power in creation. Makes the atomic bomb look stupid. Um, this is God acting for, if God be for us, giving himself totally to us. God for us and God inside of us bringing about his intention. So what is agape? God love. What's it look like? Well, it's, I say, the relentless movement. That is, this is a movement. It's a, it's more, I can't say it's personal because it's, it's the origin of personal. This is God the person who is in the, the being of God is relentless movement. It's, the, it's his entire being. It's not a part of God. It's the entire being of God, his infinite passion and his desire. I'm using the same words. But this desire is bringing about reunion Reunion with the less, the least, the weak, the helpless, the ugly, the unwanted, the untouchable. This is the absolute reverse. Everything that Eros said, I don't want to look at it. Agape says, I am on a relentless movement to reunite all to myself. Rebellious sinners intent upon fulfilling the lie of being separate from God doesn't put agape off. He comes right into that darkness. Now that, that's agape. So you could say, try again, agape is the ultimate love power to overcome all separation everything that would ever stand in the way of this reunion with the God who is the creator. And of course, then I have to say that agape is the ecstasy of joy. If eros is filled with fear and anxiety, agape is ecstasy of joy. So that when Jesus is explaining it to us, he peppers and salts his stories with rejoice with me, rejoice with me. What's he done? Found the highest, best, and most beautiful? No, he's found a stupid lost sheep. He says, rejoice with me. I'm beside myself with joy. Rejoice. I've achieved that goal. I've found, I'm accepting, in the moment of accepting the object of agape and bringing them into a face-to-face equality with me. That 
you I don't hear that too often, but he doesn't just bring us to be sub, you know, inhabitants of a place called heaven. Rather, the gospel is he brings me face to face. That's equality. God brings me in Jesus Christ to share in this, this relationship and equality without restriction. So he calls us his sons and daughters. It's the, the equation that's hidden in John 3.16. For God so loved. In fact, in the Greek, that's reversed to punch it. So loved the world. God. So, so what does so love? That's agape there is the word. Well, what is so agape? What's it look like? Well, it's an equation. So loved, well, what's it look like? That, so now this is what it looks like. He gave his only, unique and only son. It means, what does it mean for God to agape you? It means he gives you your equal. There's only one agape. He loves his son, he loves you, but to get you, he gives his son. That, that's, he agapes you. And he does it for everybody. His agape is to the entire world of darkness, of rebellious, hate-filled sinners. It is blasphemy to say that there's some he doesn't love. Because that means this isn't the being of God. It means God is, is rather two-headed monster. That one side of him can be eros and hate you, and the other side loves you. No, he is agape. And it, 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 I don't really mean this, but I'll say it, that God can't help himself. That's not true theologically, but um, I'm, I'm trying to punch this home that he loves you. No more debate, no more discussion, no more saying, am I good enough? Don't be daft. This is agape, and the burden is on his shoulders, not yours. He doesn't say, I love you if. There's no because to God's love. He doesn't love you because. He loves you, period. And all of the because is upon him. He loves you because he is love. Eros said, I love you because you're pretty good looking. You're doing what Eros wants. And the day you stop doing that, you're out of here. Do you see the difference here? You're allowed to give an indication of... Because that's the, sto that's the story. And if you don't understand, you won't really understand. You see, I said it takes... This story takes place in the 8th century B.C., 700s. Israel, the people that God had joined himself to back in the wilderness coming out of Egypt, he joined himself to them in order to prepare the coming of Jesus. But <laughs> that was a long time ago. And they have mixed that agape that came to them 
and now they have mixed it with Baal. Baal is all through the Old Testament. If you've read the Old Testament, you, you'll and and always linked to Asherah. Asherah and Baal. It was the filthiest of religions because it, it was all based on um, sexual um, intercourse with the highest, the best, and the most beautiful, and let's celebrate fertility, let's celebrate sex, let's celebrate beauty, let's... But Baal, the word means master, as a slave would say master. And so to worship Baal, one bowed and said, I'm not worthy, I'm no good, you are my master and I serve you and I try better. The covenant that God made, God said, I'm your husband. And he says, you, you filled your mouth with the name of the Baals. I, I'm your husband. I love you. And you've now turned to a master that says you've got to be the highest and best. And otherwise, I reject you. That's the story painted on the canvas of two loves. And it's painted on the attempt that occurs in the darkness, the confusion of marrying together agape and eros. And so I can speak of God in somewhat love terms, but then immediately come in with an eros statement. Did you understand that? Um, People can say, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now you've got to try and be the best you can, or God will damn you in hell in violence and rage. Okay, that's that's agape plus eros. And the Bible speaks of that as the ultimate darkness, the absolute confusion of bringing the two things together. I say that's the story. But it begins, it says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea. What's the word of the Lord? John defines the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Speaking of Jesus, in the Old Testament, Jesus came, of course he had not yet become human. He had not assumed our humanity and therefore he came probably in some sort of very vivid vision, dream, or appearance, I don't know, and I'm not going to try and say how. But Jesus came to Hosea, whose name means Jesus. Jesus came to Jesus, and he's going to imprint into Hosea's life the love of God so that Hosea is going to love as God loves in front of a watching world. It will finally be revealed when Jesus becomes flesh. But for now, in the middle of the Old Testament, you'll never forget this. It's going to happen right in front of your eyes. 
And the person that you think of as the great man of God is going to show the limits that God goes to to express his love. Go find a woman who's a prostitute. I mean, that, that there's something wrong with that. And who does he find? Goma. The word goma means completed, finished, and most of the time finished as a failure. It's never makes it finished, failure. Now, I said that the people had turned to Baal, and in the Baal um, temples, they had what were known as the sacred prostitutes. That is, to worship Baal, one went to a prostitute. They had male prostitutes, they had women, they had lesbian, all varied, but every way they had to get the entire city involved. And it looks like, because that's the ba- that's what's wrong with these people, and they called that by the name of Yahweh. They said, we're going to worship Yahweh. But when they got there, they worshiped Baal. And they put Baal's words into Yahweh's mouth. Mixture. But because that's what it's all about, I believe that Goma was a temple prostitute. She wasn't a streetwalker. She had been probably sold into the temple This begins to sound very much like sex trafficking today. That was this girl, never known anything else. This was life. This is where her parents put her. This was her ID, her passport. She's Eros. That, That was it. Um, so she saw herself. So my identity, I, I see myself as a plaything. I'm a toy of the men who come to the temple until they're bored, and then I'll be passed on to another client who will play the game. Bail. Eros, it only knew that empty, false, selfish, grasping for self, I want for me. To to anybody in that temple, she was almost a no thing. She's almost, certainly she's a thing for their momentary pleasure. And then even while they're doing it, they're despising her. And they leave her. I mean, that's what it's about. Agape? She wouldn't know what you're talking about. And please hear this, because I've heard plenty of sermons on, you know, she was some faithless streetwalker. Well, maybe she was, but she'd never known anything else. This was her life. Covenant? Giving oneself to another? Are you nuts? 
They pay for me. She didn't know anything about it. In fact, she could neither think it nor imagine it. This was life. Eros. And the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Go marry this woman. It would mean that she had, uh, he had to go into the Baal temple. I mean, that's where she was. Owned by her priest masters. I don't know how he got her out of there. Uh, Bible didn't say. So therefore it's of no great significance. But he has to go into that profound darkness. Find a sacred prostitute and say he wants to marry her. To love her with God love. Agape. Another definition of agape is that he invades the idol eros darkness. He's not afraid of it. Religion will tell you, of course, that God is too holy to look at sin. That is the final word of Eros. He only wants the highest and best. He won't even look at sin. The whole Bible says God comes and joins us up to his earlobes. He's, he's one with us in our darkness. Hosea went. <laughs> he went to a woman who was trained to play the game of Eros and said, I want you out of here and I want to bestow on you a love that is God love. She couldn't understand the word he was talking about. At best, she thought he was crazy. Um, and this, I say, is your God. This is your God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is behind every word that Hosea is saying. And notice, Hosea goes into the temple to find her. Hosea announces to her a message that she can't even understand. This isn't saying Goma was sitting in her cell or whatever, saying, I want to find the true God. I want a husband who will love me. Oh, come on. She doesn't know any of that. God is always first. This, this nonsense that we're God chasers. We're not God chasers. We flee from God. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We don't go chasing after God. If you say, but I was seeking God, why were you seeking God? Because God was seeking you first. And you woke up to a ray of light and said, I want that. You didn't start it. If it depends upon us, we're all screwed. That's it. it. We, we, that's the Holy Trinity always first, always coming to us before we come to him. Herein, okay, here's another definition. In First John, it says, herein or in this is agape. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and gave his son. No. They were married. And she takes his eye. I have tried, I've even dreamed about this. That woman coming into that house. Just for starters, a marriage, I mean, that's a commitment. She was committed on an hourly basis. That's about it. She married. She receives love. But she is incapable, and I choose that word very carefully, incapable of understanding it. She can't understand it. She's confused to the max. She has lived her life as a faceless plaything, presenting herself as the highest and best and most beautiful that she knows how to make it look, and presenting herself for the highest price. Now she's married Hosea, who doesn't even want her seduction or her charms. So everything she's learned in the game of Eros, check it out at the door, you don't need it in here. I mean, come on. She's awkward. She's got to change the meaning of her life. But she doesn't understand what she's changing to. Got to change her habits. But but why? That's a good question for her. Why? She's even got to change her clothes. These clothes don't work here. You've got to change the way you look at a man. Change the way you talk. Change your tone. Doesn't work here. You're not trying to convince Hosea of anything. You're not trying to seduce him. You're, he's loving you because you exist. Not because you are giving him something. She doesn't know agape because she's not yet had the metanoia. Do you remember that word? That opening of the eyes. The seeing of what I couldn't imagine or dream of. She's never had that. You could give her the definition of agape that I've given to you. It wouldn't mean a thing to her. Please, you've got to understand her. How? To live by agape. I don't know. Why live according to agape? I've got a good life as it is. Everything just appeared then as senseless rules. Stupid. Because she was looking at the marriage as an extension of temple prostitution. Hosea was her latest client. Strangest one she'd ever had. It's a point of mix. She's, she's in a covenant relationship and she's mixing it big time with Eros. So I'm in a marriage relationship and I'm trying to make it work by Eros. I've responded to God's love and I think the only way I can connect with that and make it work is Eros. Do, do you understand that? 
what would be like for Eros to live in the presence of 1 Corinthians 13? Agape, he's gentle, he's kind, he's patient. Eros doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Don't know what I don't know what I'm getting into. It was the presence of Hosea that was agape. His ways. He didn't, he didn't threaten her. And say, if you don't get your act together, I will. No. He loved her as she was, where she was. He didn't try to re-educate her except to be something in front of her that she'd never seen in her life. If it had been a matter of threats, well, she's had plenty of that in the temple and probably would have gone along with it. That was her world. Not that we mean it, but we go along with it to avoid the threats. You see, agape meets eros. And the only thing that can happen there is eros must die. It's the passion of God. You can never mix it, you see. You can't bring your idea of love and mix it with God's idea of love. And that's where the church is going hideously wrong. Because when I say God loves you, most people think Eros. He loves me because. Therefore, I've got to really fill in all the blanks and do my best and try and dedicate and rededicate and do it every Sunday. Go forward and promise and promise and promise. That's Eros. But to sit there and know that I am who I am and know that God just loves me the way I am. I don't have that in my vocabulary. I don't have it in my thought. I go every Sunday and the church reinforces that and said, that's right, go on, try harder, try harder, try harder. And if you don't, God's a violent God. He'll abuse you and punish you. He'll take away all the good things out of your life. I was raised with it. And here, living in front of Goma, Little Miss Eros is agape. So, you see, he didn't have to speak condemnation. There, there is a presence. Agape is a person, you see. There's a radiation of the person. Light shows up the darkness. You know, he says our God is a consuming fire. That doesn't mean he's mean. He's going to burn you up. It just means that when I bring Eros close to God, it's like exposing myself to the sun and, and I see myself as I am. And, and what doesn't fit with agape is got to go. It's burned up. So the beautiful love, agape, which was in Hosea, is torment to her just by being around it. That's not me. Hosea was a mirror in which when she looked in it, she saw herself and she didn't like what she saw. 
though she didn't understand Hosea. She is experiencing agape. You cannot go to college and learn it. She's she is being loved. And she doesn't know what to do with it. Huh. No preaching, no threats, no appeal to logic could do what simply the presence of Hosea being loved could do. He could have threatened and she might have changed her behavior, at least while she's around Hosea. But then she only knows real, which was the opposite, produces hypocrisy as it does in religion. So she ran away back to the temple. What on earth would you do that? What you have with Hosea is almost like paradise compared with what you're going to have back in the temple. Used, abused, masters, slavery. You go back to that? I mean, come on. Why would she run away, return to the old ways? You'd think she'd celebrate getting away from the temple. No, it's that feeling of awkwardness, of, yeah, guilt, shame. That this man is so so beautiful, but makes me look so ugly. Um, and I don't understand it. And I'm awkward. I'm afraid of it. I want to run away back to it. She went back to the source of her pain. Boy, I could stay there a lot. Have you ever noticed it? That a person who is beaten by a, a, an Eros husband and they divorce him, what does she do? But goes and finds another one just the same. Runs back to the pain, back to the source. It, it's... um. She, she was in the presence of the person who wouldn't play the game. Hosea doesn't go for it. He won't be tempted. He's not interested in what she's bringing to the table. All he wants is the honor, the privilege of loving her because she exists. So she ran away. Couldn't handle it. Hosea goes to find her and brings her back more than once, apparently. And, and there's a hint there in the story that she looked at when she ran away. She says, you know, it was better with Hosea and came back. Children were born, and they indicate what's happening in this place. Um, the first one was called Jezreel, which without going into a lot of detail, essentially means separation and chaos. There's nothing going on in this marriage. Separation, chaos. Remember the whole nation is looking at this. This is People magazine on steroids. The, I mean, everybody knows. As I say, there's a kid, you know. And the second one to be born was called Lorahoma, which translated means there's no covenant love here. No love. There's a child, but there's no love. And the last one to be born was Loami, which essentially means not mine. 
It's not one of my covenant people. As if Hosea looked at the child and says, he's not my kid, you know. Um, One day she left and Hosea didn't go after her. I think that was deliberate. Remember, he's doing this with Yahweh and he had no release to go after. There comes a time when I've got a consequence. So you want to go, you go. And consequence. She comes to the end of her rope because Eros turns on her like a wild animal. And it would appear that she's worn out, dumbed out. And in that world, you can't afford to be there. To the point where they're selling her. She, she's on the slave market. She's up for sale. She's too worn out, worn down, no use more in the temple. Now she's for sale. And the Lord tells Hosea, they're selling her. Go buy her. Remember, the whole world is watching. You're going to do what? She has walked away from you so many times. She spat in your face. She's made a fool of you. She's brought her shame into your house. You finally got rid of her. And the Lord said, no, you didn't. Now she's reached the end of her rope. You go and buy her. Can can you... I've tried to get inside Goma. You're standing there and, you, you know... Whatever they can say about you, they're saying it. Trying to make someone get interested in buying you. You make a good slave anyway. And, and you're standing there and you probably got shackles on, unkempt, unwashed. And you look out across the meager crowd because not many people are interested in you. You look out across and you see Hosea. I mean, is this man insane? Eros meets Agape again and cannot grasp it. Up for sale. No one wants her. And Hosea comes and she is purchased the price of a slave. Reminds me, she was purchased for exactly what Judas sold Jesus for. And takes her home. And in taking her home, he says, you're not leaving. See, he had, she, he had her now twice. Husband, but also, I've bought you now. That's your language. That's your world. So I'm telling you, you're going nowhere. He says, you're staying here. And you're not staying here as my wife, not yet. I'm having no um, husbandly duties toward you because you don't understand what I'm doing. So you stay here and you understand, you will come to understand 
what it is to be beloved, agape. And when you know agape, you'll be able to agape. And so it says that that is what happened. That she who was both wife and now redeemed both. She's there. She learned to love. And she learned to give love. Well, I, I'm biting my tongue right now because I've got about an hour to say on that. Um, so let's just leave it. Enough. No one said to Goma, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Um I'm serious, I know that sounds... See, the only heaven that she could imagine was to escape all the consequences of life and have a, an endless party of eros. That would be heaven to her. No, actually she's got to learn that she doesn't want to go to that heaven when she dies. She wants to go to heaven right now and learn that heaven is agape. But wouldn't that change things in our churches? That the gospel doesn't say go to heaven when you die. That would empty out most of our churches who are there only as an insurance against death. Um, the gospel is I am going to change you into someone that you cannot even imagine. That you are going to be actually transformed from an Eros girl to an agape And so, she's learning a life that she couldn't even imagine. How did it work out to the, to the nation? I mean, he was speaking to Israel. Now, I told you, didn't I? That they named their child, or at least he did. There's no love left. And then the second one, you're not mine. He says, when he's dealing with her, he says, we're going to change the name of those children. It's coming. Peter, well, we're, we're way in the New Testament now. Now it's well, 800 years later, for sure. Peter wrote in his first epistle, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were Lohami. You were not a people. Now you are the people of God. You were Lorahama, but now you are beloved. Do, do, it is saying that what happened to Goma is the whole story of us, and that you have been taught agape love by the Holy Spirit 
and you have been transformed into an agape giver so that now your very name, your character, your person, is what a name means in Hebrew, you are no longer the one who wanders in the world of Eros. You are beloved agape. No longer without identity except being the plaything of a passerby. No longer a plaything of God that he loves you, he loves me not. He'll damn me in hell, he'll put me in heaven. But you have seen it. You are now people of God. You're mine, he said. You see, Jesus came. He is agape incarnate. And he comes, came, in order to take us out of Eros. And anything less than that is not the gospel. For us to realize that we are loved because of who God is, not because of who we are. That's agape. Eros doesn't understand that. So Eros will go through a thousand formulas, dedications and prayers and promises and wonder why it doesn't work. I mean, today, in much of evangelicalism, they would say Goma kept on backsliding. No, she didn't. She never slid forward. (laughs) How can you slide back if you haven't slid forward? And that's why people backslide today, because they, they don't know agape. They don't know they're loved. They're still operating on an eros space. And so I fail at that. Of course you fail at that. Eros always fails. Eros equals death. So we try again, won't we? We'll have another dedication. So we'll have a fall revival. That would do it. No, and we're backslide. Incidentally, the word backslide is not in the New Testament. Isn't that fascinating? And it's only in the Old Testament, but never once used of a human being. It's always of a whole nation. Um, anyway, that's another thing. So the gospel today is a watered-down agape that has been mixed with a robust eros. So I hear bits and pieces of love, but I sure hear eros. And so we have that back and forth, this, this timidly coming and then running away because I can't, I can't stand it. I live in this... And of course, she's the one where she doesn't know the love of God. It's reflected in her children. That's what it's there for. The name of the child reflects her. They're her, the fruit of her womb. No love. I don't know what love is. And who are you? I don't know who I am. I'm a no people. And it doesn't work. I said that before, but it really doesn't work. Agape and Eros don't mix. They can't. And that's why Eros must die. Eros is banished from Agape. And in Agape, he teaches us. We learn. I know we were taught, you make this decision, and wham, everything has changed. Well, it isn't, is it? Because we come with an Eros head. 
and and what we're facing now is utterly other than me and I'm caught in this and so the Holy Spirit is forever teaching us. That's his mission. When he has come, he will teach you. He will guide you into all truth. And what did they pray one for another that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened? You will see, you get it. Or what was it again? I'm praying for you that you might know, know the love of Christ which passes knowledge which means you didn't know it, so I'm praying for you. We're still stuck in a goma head. But he came into our darkness. He brought us out and he said, now I'm going to teach you. That, that's the gospel. And the guppy will never give up. You, you can make the biggest mess, he will never give up on you. That's the key word of Luke 15. He sought the sheep until... Until he found it. Until? How long did that? I don't know. It was until. Because he wouldn't quit. Until. The woman looked for the coin until she found it. Whatever it takes. The father runs to meet the prodigal son coming home and hugs him and kisses him all over because there's no limit to God's love. There cannot be. Otherwise, there's a limit to God. Agape says it, it's right there. It will come in the next few weeks. Where, where God, it's, uh, you almost feel the pain of God. He said, how can I give you up? He said, I can't give you up. And the book has got quite a bit in it about the, the wrath of God. And people say, well, he says that God is angry. No, that's God saying, I will not let you go down this path. It's interesting. In the margin of um, New American Standard, the updated version, um, where it says the wrath of God in the margin, it says this could be translated the excitement of God. Then why didn't you do it? We, no, we prefer the negative. We, were, we want a violent God. We want a God that will stamp on us. Well, put excitement in there. God's excited. He's not going to give up on you. He can see you as only he can see you. And he's going to carry you there and he's excited. He's, he's, he won't give up. He won't give up. He won't give up. He stamps his foot. He said, no, you're not going that way. That's what it's about. That's what he's about. It's not about us forever saying I'm sorry to God. It's rather resting in the God that has made himself known to us. He He who began a good work in you, believe me, he will not quit until it's done. He's always taken the initiative. And so, welcome to this wild ride of this resting as you free fall into the agape of God. Amen. Amen. Father, we give you thanks. We really do. We, we, our, our brains stand paralyzed before your love. We can't think it. We can't imagine it. It doesn't make sense. But we thank you that you have opened our eyes and that you've caused our brains to understand that we are your beloved 
and that you have given us our identity of being yours and to know that the government is on your shoulders, not on ours. So into your hands we commend ourselves that you do indeed open the eyes of our understanding, open our eyes that we might know, know the love of Christ, the agape, which passes all our other knowledge of love. That's the way it is. Amen. And amen.